I'm Anna Marie Cox, and that gun doesn't change anything. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and I'm not the only one with a satellite over Antarctica. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of analytic eclecticism and pseudo archaeology. Today we'll be talking about Alien vs. Predator, which is available on Stars. Although I went out of my way to watch it on Amazon because I like the <laughs> trivia and I want to say that it was worth it. In the next week, we're going to finish up Cold Sci-Fi Winter <laughs> with Groundhog Day, which we do plan on being the last week of Cold Sci-Fi Winter. Right. If we wake up the next day and we are still going to do Groundhog Day, well, that might be on us. If you guys hear <laughs> Groundhog Day again, that's on you. We will not Hopefully have karmically we... earned yes, exactly. <laughs> permission to, the... to leave Cold Sci-Fi Winter. But yep. So Cold Sci-Fi Winter is over. What are we going to be doing after Cold Sci-Fi Winter, Dan? We are going to be doing Colson Whitehead's Underground Railroad, uh, which won a whole mess of awards and is a, a new sort of foray for us because I believe it's an alternative history, which I kind of like. And then we will be doing Jordan Peele's Nope. And after which, that... Is that up for an Academy Award? Am I imagining things? I don't... I think it actually kind of got shut out of the, the Academy okay. Awards. I could be wrong about All that, right. but I think... I am just confused by, by the Academy if, Awards this year because Top Gun... Yep. Got nominated. <laughs> you know what, Anna? I'm going to point out that we did Top Gun Maverick, and we also did an episode devoted to everything, everywhere, all at once. Those got Oscar noms. We neglected Nope. That's true. I think the correlation is clear, and I feel guilty about that, and we need to do Nope. All right. We need to do Nope. So we're going to do Nope. Mm -hmm. And then? We're doing Tanana Riva Duo's My Soul to Keep. Fuck oh, you for Dan. making me say that. <laughs> Thank you for taking the bullet on that one. <laughs> I apologize profusely if I've, I've, I've mangled the pronunciation. <laughs> I have had her stuff recommended to me a lot, so I'm looking forward to reading that. And then we're not going to say what we're going to do after that because we might change our minds and we reserve the right to just be nimble about it. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to talk to us about our choices, you, you'd have a better shot at reaching us if you become a patron. Isn't that right? That is, that is very true, uh, Anna. If you go to patreon.com slash space the nation, you can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. There are higher tiers and that get you all sorts of stuff. I think the thing it gets you that's the most valuable is our Discord channel. Because among other things, our Discord channel is great. There's a lot of cool people on uh, the Discord. They talk about a whole variety of things. We have a sports ball channel. We have a day jobs channel. We have an adorables channel. And also we take questions from the Discord that we actually address in the podcast. And if we get up to 250 patrons, and we're getting close to that, we will do a special patrons only episode on a topic chosen by you, the patrons. And we have opened it up to non-sci-fi, non-genre stuff. So True. If you're just looking I, for I would. you're looking for us to comment on the Warren Beatty vehicle reds, go for it. Yeah, <laughs> if anyone picks like... Shoah, I am gonna have words with you. <laughs> oh. All right. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have even There are limits to how far we're willing to go on this. But yes, other than that, 
do you want us to do, I don't know, Legally Blonde? Or I'm trying to think of like the least sci-fi, the Bridges of Bridges and Madison County. <laughs> there we go. That's, that was the thing that came to mind is the least sci-fi thing ever. Uh, we would do that. Yes. So I guess actually we we're almost, so we're daring people to have us do a non-sci-fi thing, Dan. I think that's Yeah, I'm a little worried about that. Here. We could also, we could also <laughs> do a sci-fi thing. Like that's, that's permitted. Yeah. Okay. So if, if you are already a patron or if you, for whatever reason, cannot become a patron, you can always just rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, or you can recommend us to your friends and neighbors. We are on social media, mm-hmm. not so much on Twitter anymore for reasons. And both of us are on Mastodon. Dan's on mm-hmm. post. You're Dan, on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. Dan has a mm-hmm. sub stack. My God. I have a sub stack called Dresner's World. Whatever. Uh, which, you know, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm trying once again to prove Anna wrong about this. So really, if you want Anna to be proven wrong, you want to subscribe to my sub stack. Oh, no. <laughs> it's your secret weapon, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Reverse logic. But no, I think there are just lots of patrons that would like to see me proven wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that. I think the patrons like you a great deal. I think okay. you're, you're, you're well, underestimating your, the adoration. Of I happen to know that we feel similarly on our topic today, which is Alien versus Predator. Why did yes. why are we why are we talking about this movie, Dan? <laughs> So this was my suggestion, Anna, and I think I made it for two reasons. The first was was that I got the impression the Gone World was going to be a heavy lift, and this seemed like a light, frothy sorbet after that. And I'm not going to lie, like, The Gone World was actually a really good book to read, but, like, trying to describe that book is fantastically difficult. This is much easier. Um, (laughs) And also... I remembered that it started in Antarctica, I thought. And, and, you know, Anna, I'm not sure I've mentioned this to you before. Wait. But I've been to Antarctica, oh, and so okay, I feel a deep you. connection. <laughs> I have, yes. I feel a deep connection to films that are placed okay. in Antarctica. Can you speak where to I the verisimilitude of the Exactly. Of the okay, yep. good. Yep. Well, we'll check totally, in on that, because totally. I, I would like to hear more. Because I, I don't think <laughs> yes. I've heard you talk about it. So we'll, we'll check in. <laughs> yes, we will. I was into this because, you know, everyone who listens to podcasts probably knows I love the alien. The alien <laughs> is one of... Actually, I don't love the alien, no, like, you love the Alien, the film. I love Alien, yes, the no. film, and I like many of the sequels. Mm-hmm. So, and I've heard about this, you know, like it's out in the pop culture, you know, ecosphere. So I was curious. I was up for it. Mm-hmm. Now, Dan, we need to tell people if there's anything about listening to this podcast first that will mm-hmm. ruin the experience for them should they want to watch the movie. The answer to that question, Anna, is no. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to be blunt about this. This is not a great film across a variety of dimensions. It's not a horrible film either. I actually was a little bit surprised that that I enjoyed it as much as I did. But there's no, like, surprise plot twist that, that you... I agree, Dan. That, you could know a lot about this movie, and it would not be ruined. Because there's not much to ruin. <laughs> I think like, yeah, I have a theory, which is this is mainly a movie for people who like to see monsters. Like if you enjoy above average monster effects, 
this is you a good will movie. probably yeah this this movie can work for you yeah, yeah this, this again movie. I don't think it's horrible but as we will see it's also <laughs> we're not just good. churning out the, the the blurbs right now I yep. don't think it's horrible <laughs> we really do Anna I think we need to come up with a blurb section from from here on in like how would we blurb this film like to you know reward it for for uh, I like it uh, I like it yeah yeah. All right, let's get to the previous experience. Anna, have you seen this film before? What was your prior experience with this? Like I said, I just knew it existed. I think I had an impression that it was more schlocky than it actually turned out to be. Like, mm-hmm. I had the impression that this was like part of like sort of a machine of movies and maybe a little more TV, like sci-fi. Remember the not so golden age of sci-fi channel movies? Like, yes, like Sharknado or... Or, or even or, like kind of like the yeah. Dune series. Like I, I thought right, it was more yeah. in that level. And it's not that. It's not no, that. it is not. I don't know. It's definitely a real film in that sense. I think, it, again, this is one of those classic films that like if you were like watching TNT 10 years ago and it was 11.30 on a Thursday, it might be on <laughs> or something. And I honestly, the only thing I remembered about it was that I knew that Lance Henriksen who plays Bishop in the movie Aliens, was in it and was, like, supposed to be one of the the capitalists. That's about it. One I don't think I'd seen all You're starting yeah. to t- sound like me, yes. Dan. Uh, <laughs> this is what happens with repeated interaction on it. Yeah. All right, so let's get to how cold is it uh, for cold sci-fi winter. It is always worth delving into just how cold it is in the setting. How cold was it, Anna? I have to defer to you in your Antarctic experience, Dan. It seemed, I, I will say... <laughs> Yeah. I will say it seemed not too cold. It seemed unusually not cold for Antarctica. I mean, the the one thing I would point out is that they were out around at night. Yeah. And it should have been a lot. Like, <laughs> I mean, this is a it should have been colder is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. Yep. Yep. It definitely should have been colder. But in some ways, the other weird thing about this, I guess it it did make sense that they they set it in Antarctica because it allowed for an isolated sort of battle, as it were. So that totally made sense. But beyond that, they don't really make much use of the Antarctic setting, except for the whaling station, which was oddly realistic. Yes, and I know from the Amazon trivia, actually, well, yes and no realistic. More on that later. However, one thing I will say is that you would not see a whole whale carcass, apparently, because Uh, whales were butchered near the ocean itself. mm -hmm. And so you would really only see like, some parts of the whale and not like a whole whale skeleton. Ah, okay. I love reading trivia. I love learning shit like that. And Dan, well, speaking you know what? of learning, speaking yeah, of learning. Yeah, let's, let's get to the story behind the story because Anna, the thing, I, the, my most pleasant surprise when I started watching this movie was realizing that our fourth most favorite director <laughs> of sci-fi, Paul W.S. Anderson, who did direct Event Horizon, and also directed the Resident Evil, or most of the Resident Evil films, was responsible for this. He strikes again on it. Yeah, I saw that as well when it came up. And I was like, oh, well, maybe this is going to be better than I think so. But <laughs> no, it was actually pretty much, like I said, better than I thought it would be, but not as good as I was tempted to believe based on my love of Event Horizon, which everyone it's should no go event back horizon. and listen to the Event Horizon episode to hear yeah. why yep. it is such a great movie. And now... Listeners, Dan and I were texting about this before I sat down to write the story behind the story. And it turned out Dan knew stuff. (laughs) And I I thought, whatever. Like, I'll let Dan do it. (laughs) So, Dan, (laughs) what is the story behind the story here? 
I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> let's go back to the early 70s when Dan O'Bannon was creating the Alien franchise. I hope you're all waiting for the next two hours of exposition on this list. No, 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 I'm just kidding. We're not. There is so much IP involved in this that I'm not even going to, to. It doesn't do justice to, to try to describe all of it. The origins of Aliens vs. Predator, though, are in a comic book. Uh, that came out in 1989, and there were subsequent novelizations and novels based on it. There was also a hint that there would be a crossover in the Predator 2 movie, because you do see the skull of an alien at one point um, when Danny Glover sort of visits the, uh, the the Predator ship. Anyway, so this was knocking about, the idea of Alien v. Predator was knocking about a, a fair amount. And all throughout the 90s, various, you know, Directors were associated with it, and yet in the end, it wound up being Paul W.S. Anderson pitching to Predator producer John Davis a story that he apparently worked on for over eight years, adapting it from uh, the Machiko Noguchi comic book, um, which a lot of people think is actually quite good. I've never read it, but I, I believe that. And, uh, you know, tried to honor the comic book, but but by and large was just sort of trying to, you know, mash these two things I, up. I have um, and, I have doubts about how long it would take to put together this plot. And it's not. Well, I will say the, the thing I'm amused by is that <laughs> in the Wikipedia entry, it says that Anderson started to work on the film after completing the script for Resident Evil Apocalypse. Also a script that probably did not take all that long <laughs> to draft. The one thing is my understanding is that Anderson actually really did carry very much about the continuity of the two franchises, and he honestly did not want to mess with them, which is ironic because one of the things I'm quite certain of is that many of these sort of all-stars of the Alien franchise in particular do not like this film at all. In fact, most of them have been asked about how they feel about Alien vs. Predator, and it would be safe to say they were not crazy about it at all. Ridley Scott has has totally trashed the idea. Sigourney Weaver, um, I think, you know, didn't want to, uh, you know, in any way have anything to do with it. The uh, one exception to this is James Cameron, who apparently originally said, no, 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 I didn't, don't really want to, to, to deal with it. And then apparently watched and said, you know what? It's not that bad. It's like the third best alien movie. <laughs> um, so, you know. See, I and, think uh, James Cameron really respects people milking IP. <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, you know, game recognizes game. I think that's what's going on there. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually, in retrospect, given that Ridley Scott winds up making Prometheus, it's understandable that Ridley Scott did not like this film because this film apparently gives a very different origin story in some ways for the emergence of, of aliens as opposed to what we see in Prometheus and then... Um, yeah, whatever that other Requ movie is. The other, the the, the Prometheus <laughs> sequel with a lot of religion. I can't even remember it at this point. Which is, you know, I I totally get why he he would not have wanted to do that. So that's fine. And I, I think it's think interesting that 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 Paul W. S. Anderson has such reverence for the source material because the one thing that I know as mm -hmm. just having you know again sort of observed it being out in the the world pop cultural ecosphere is that it's yeah. not canon. Right, exactly. And the other thing, by the way, that's... It's like explicitly not canon. <laughs> right. The other thing, by the way, is that it is weird that Paul W.S. Anderson cared so much about these two canons because if you actually watch all the Resident Evil films, which I had to do when I was writing that zombie book, Anna, 
He doesn't care about his own canon. Like, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, he on the one hand, he like you know the last Resident Evil film totally retcons the origins of zombies in a way that has nothing to do with the very first film. It's it's a bizarre sort of thing, and and you know he was responsible for both of them. So you know what, Dan, I would very much read like a New Yorker profile of Paul W. S. Anderson. I have to admit, I'm growing more intrigued by Paul W.S. Anderson. I did not realize that he was the director of this. And there's other, th like, he also, I think, did the um, the Jason Statham uh, remake of Death Race. Yes, um, If memory did. serves. And, you know, which is also actually kind of an entertaining film. So, like, there's something there. I'm not entirely sure how to describe it, but there's something there. All right, Dan, next section, Chekhov's What's It? This is the thing that appears in the first act that you know is going to appear in the third act. What do you got? Check off space gun, Anna. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> obvious in this case. There, there's not a lot of subtlety in this film. It's not on a mantle. Film. The guns aren't right. actually on a mantle. That's true. It's in a sarcophagus. So, yeah. you know, like, it's, it's, it, the sarc uh, yeah. But it's close I will to say being this, a very though, literal Chekhov's gun. Right. I, I, I was faked out, though, because I was convinced that it was going to be Chekhov's camera. Because, like, the Scottish guy keeps, like, asking to, like, take photos and have his photo taken. And that just goes nowhere. I was a little puzzled by that. But, you know, yeah. There's a few places where I thought, oh, maybe that'll come up. But I don't think the movie's clever or good enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, for instance, <laughs> the one thing that I thought of was Chekhov's climbing skills. Right. Which do kind of come up, but I'm not sure it was intentional. Mm-hmm. Like she does do climbing. And we meet we meet Lex ice climbing, and then she climbs right. later. But actually, it doesn't seem like it's her skills from the ice climbing. You would have expected climbing to play a more important role, if given else, her yes. skill set. And it's not really like it, it. Again, it just falls flat again. And this is you know, this is not top tier. Paul W S Anderson is the way I would put it. So yeah, it, it it's a little bit lazy in that sense. All right, so we've now let everybody know we don't like this movie that much, but we're going to talk about nope. it for another 30 minutes. Uh, stay <laughs> tuned, everyone. Here is the plot. All right, let's start with Act 1. Meet the very forgettable cast. Strange things are afoot in Antarctica. A satellite owned by billionaire industrialist Charles Whelan discovers a pyramid buried thousands of feet beneath the ice on Bouvet Island in Antarctica. Seems like a big deal. Wayland and his minions Stafford assemble a ragtag team of archaeologists, linguists, mercs, and a mountaineering guide named Lex Woods to lead them. The pyramid contains features from Egyptian, Aztec, and Cambodian civilizations, suggesting perhaps an even earlier civilization is responsible for it all. Lex wants to train everyone for three weeks before descending down into the pyramid, and Wayland says no way. Woods then decides to leave, but is then guilted into staying by the archaeologists. They set up base camp at a whaling station that was, in a complete coincidence, abandoned exactly a century ago when all its inhabitants disappeared. They find a tunnel that has been freshly excavated in the last 24 hours, which is super weird given the lack of any drilling equipment. Little does our ragtag team know that the Predators created the hole with their ship from outer space and are monitoring everything the humans are doing and also plan to descend into the pyramid. Anna, I have two thoughts about this opening. First, I don't care whether Ridley Scott likes or dislikes this movie. This movie's exposition scenes were a hell of a lot cleaner and tighter than Prometheus. I'm just going to say that. The acting might have been better in Prometheus, but, like, at least this was, like, a very clear exposition scene. So, you know, I'm going to give him credit on that. Second, though. Yep, go ahead. Also, 
the exposition scene is almost identical <laughs> to the one in Prometheus. Yes! Now I know why Ridley Scott was pissed off about this film, because it turns out Ridley Scott ripped off Alien v. Predator, which is a little weird if you think about it's it. It's a bunch like, of you know. people in a hangar, in a dark yeah. hangar. Like, it really mm-hmm. looks almost exactly alike. And the theme is the same, which is, oh, it turns out Cambodian and Aztec and Egyptian civilizations might have a common denominator. Yeah, that's a little bit of racism that's unfortunately real popular. So (laughs) I'm not going to give them either of them credit (laughs) on that front. But yes, it is the same scene as Prometheus done with more efficiency. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, But second, and here, uh, this is where we start to talk about the lack of quality. Beyond Lex and Wayland, absolutely none of the other characters really registered for me. Because, and I think you pointed this out, but it's also worth saying, this movie ain't about the humans. It's about the monsters. Yeah. Who, I think the predators are actually somewhat well drawn. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I did notice that they are distinct. They have different face coverings. Mm -hmm. I, I would like to know if the actors had any personal like backstories for them. <laughs> I, I I wound up thinking about that a lot, Dan, actually. <laughs> uh, so a couple of things. One is I think the Scottish nerd stood out a bit and I was rooting for him. And in the script, I almost wrote really rooting for him, but I did not care enough to really root for him. I was just <laughs> kind of rooting for him. <laughs> You know, just like, all right, yeah, it would be nice if his character survived. I also think my backstory is that the Italian archaeologist and his assistant were in a relationship. Oh, you were shipping Sebastian and, and his assistant. There is that and by moment the way, the only where reason- he says, who, who taught you to translate? And the guy goes, he looked uh, a lot like you. <laughs> that was I a little that flirty. Was, That's a I fair that point. Kind of yep, flirty. Yep, uh, yep, and yep. then, as I said, and, and Lance Hendrickson is... Not given much to do. <laughs> no. Know? No. He's, it, it's pretty much a waste. Like, almost yeah. a total waste. Like, he's literally given not much to do in that mm-hmm. he's... Except breathe, which he has difficulty doing. He's ailing, and so he just doesn't <laughs> yeah. do very much. He's the only kind of real actor person who's, like, bringing oh. the acting... No, I'm not sure. I mean, Salah Latham, who plays Lex, I think is actually, she plays the action lead pretty well. And actually, I would agree with you that I think it's Ewan Bremmer is the Scottish guy. He was in Wonder Woman uh, a yeah. couple years later. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, he was actually really interesting. It was just like the char- they did nothing with the character. So, yeah. yeah. But other You're than right. that, He's I not the only you, one yeah. acting. But, you know, yeah. I, I take that back. Actually, I will take that back. Because there are flashes okay. of acting with a few of the characters. Like flashes right. of like, oh, this person may have thought about the, the, who they are playing, you know? Yeah, I, I'll leave this way. I don't blame the actors as much as I blame the script. I don't think there's much for them to do, unfortunately, in the end. I agree, and I want to talk more about Paul W.S. Anderson and his cast of characters, like the players he uh-huh. uses. Maybe a little bit later. Yes. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, because there's one actor here who, I, who also appears in the Resident Evil franchise, I yeah. know. The way I would put it, Anna, is that I think in the end, it's not the actors who really let down this movie, it's the script. The, the, in a lot of cases, they're perfectly fine actors, they're just not given much to do in the script. So, I think I want to bring in the favorite piece of Amazon trivia that I found, <laughs> because it is in this first section. Yes? It has to do with the Whaley Ooh, Village. Okay. okay. It is called, in the little trivia section, 
error in geography. Okay, yes. The film gives confusing and inconsistent accounts of the geography of the island and the pyramid. The pyramid is supposedly under 2,000 feet of ice, yet the tunnel leading down to it begins at the sea level whaling station. The geographical Mm -hmm. survey, as well as the in-story shots, show that the ice tunnel slopes gently downwards towards the pyramid entrance, therefore not on top of it at all. The whaling station is thus supposedly built on ice instead of rock. This is a ludicrous proposition, as it would only be constructed (laughs) in a region where ice melted enough each summer to allow whaling ships to dock. Anything built on ice that thaws significantly each year would not last 100 years. This arrangement also places the pyramid and a large amount of ice below sea level. The buoyancy and natural flow of the ice pack makes this highly unlikely and is not something that could be accurately described as an island in the first place. (laughs) The top of the tunnel at the whaling station descends at a, quote, perfect 30-degree angle to the pyramid, thus placing it over half a mile away. Horizontally, (laughs) you travel 3,464 feet. Yet we are told the satellite imagery shows this directly beneath the whaling station. Further confusion is caused by the scene at the end of the film in which a large tank falls into the water and plunges hundreds of feet towards an unseen ocean floor, supposedly directly (laughs) offshore. Is that a verbatim like thing from the trivia thing? It is. Oh my god, that is just vicious. Wow. I mean, it's all correct. It's entirely accurate because you're right. It's a 30 degree, you know, gentle slope. Which by I, the way, I also clocked the- that myself yeah. actually. I I yeah. I saw that and was like, oh. but someone got very upset, clearly. Clearly. <laughs> wow, that is like Yes. Okay. And that's and a legit way, objection. Kudos to yep. you. If anyone knows that person, if you were are that person, my my hat, my figurative hat is doffed. It is. I like doffed, to think that whoever man. it was was taking trigonometry in tenth grade and was just very upset and like at, maybe he was assigned like had to calculate how far the the vertical distance. I like to think that they were taking trigonometry at some point and were told this is never going to be useful in the real world. And they were like, wait a minute. Wow. <laughs> it is. Oh, yeah? Wait till it you watch the useful. AVP franchise. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's get to act two. Say goodbye to the no-names. Wayland, Lex, and most of the ragtag team descend through the tunnel. Their presence triggers the pyramid, defrosting a shackled alien mother who starts laying eggs. They find a sacrificial chamber. They say sacrificial chamber a lot in this movie, Anna. Uh, <laughs> and which then ask contains... each other, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> it contains runes saying they gave their lives so the hunt could begin. Meanwhile, three predators land at the whaling station, kill everyone there, and head down the tunnel to the pyramid. In a classic stratagem that always works, Wayland's team splits up. One group opens up a sarcophagus containing three predator weapons. This triggers some sort of lockdown protocol in the pyramid. Alien eggs are inserted into the sacrificial chamber, and the hatching facehuggers take out everyone located there. I'm also going to say those facehuggers move faster than I saw them in any of the alien films. One of the archaeologists figures out that the pyramid is reconfiguring every ten minutes. Dan. Oh, you're shaking your head on it. I'm sorry. I gotta stop you right there. Yeah, yeah. He what he says is yes. that the <laughs> Aztec calendar is decimal based. It's based on tens. Ten, yes, it's a ten. Yeah. There wouldn't be minutes. There wouldn't be sixty minutes in an hour. 
There oh, wouldn't no, be it's seconds. worse than that, Anna. It's worse than that because at one point he realizes that, remember, it's like the 100-year anniversary right. of that whaling yes. station disappearing. Right. Which oh my God, is right. not an Aztec that calendar. That, that did, made no sense to me. I well, like the, all the calendar metrics. It might be 100 Aztec years, but it would be totally different years to us. You're right. Like the right. year, all, the hundred like, years yeah. between those two things would mean nothing in an Aztec calendar it, or predator. Exactly. Calendar, so maybe. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's best not to pay attention to that. Like again, that's the sort of sloppiness that unfortunately tends to recur in a Paul W. S. Anderson film. That is true. That is true. Okay. I don't know why that anyway. bothered me. You know, the hundred year thing should have bothered me too. But yep. I, I, there was something about like he was like oh, every because si-, also he has no reason to think that there's this weird like. Right, it's like I just have a hunch. It's every ten minutes. It's almost like in Prometheus when, <laughs> when the archaeologist takes off the the mask because she thinks she can breathe the air. And, oh, it turns out she can. It was equally dumb. Is yeah. all I'm going to say. Yeah. So a mature alien takes out the two dads, um, including the Scottish dude. The three predators attack Wayland, Alexa, Stafford, and the Italian archaeologist. They are doing an effective job of attacking them, too. The predators are about to finish them off when the xenomorphs, who have been gestating and the other archaeologists, arrive, and boy, are they about as mad as you usually are. Anna, I am beginning to think that Paul W.S. Anderson is an auteur just like Roland Emmerich, albeit operating in a slightly cheaper and tackier register. As in the Resident Evil films, he does love to show computer models of his environments. Unfortunately, and again, this is where I agree with you, the set design in Event Horizon is amazing. The set design in this film, it seems like they invested some effort into it. It's just sort of meh, though. I would describe it as dark. That is the primary aesthetic. (laughs) It's just dark. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's not worth going into huge detail here about Anderson as an auteur. I think... Paul Anderson's movies rise and fall on the backs of his actors because Event Horizon is his best movie. And why oh, yes. is that? It's not close either. Lawrence Fishburne. Some to some degree the other folks too. Oh yeah. I mean, also, not to some like, degree. I know. should say to some degree. It actually it yeah. is it is it is an amazing cast. We talked about it at the time. Given right. the it's circumstances like Jolie of the movie. It's Kathleen Quinlan. It's Jason Isaacs. It's it's all they're all really good. You know, and Sam Neill, obviously. Yeah, no, it's a much better cast than anything I think he's worked with since. And, and so I th- I think, I mean, maybe it's just a testament to that particular cast. Yeah, there is something of a lightning in a bottle element to yeah. Event Horizon, I think. I think it might not be replicable for him, let's say. It's entirely possible. And, and Lance Hendrickson, just like I said, completely wasted. Oh, one more thing about this section. Yes. Those are so clearly guns in the sarcophagus. Mm-hmm. They're like, what are these? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, unfortunately, to the extent that there are characterizations in this in this movie, the characterizations are the characters are dumb. Uh, yes, like, you are we're, we're going to get to this. <laughs> like, you know, unfortunately, we are not dealing with the brightest bulbs in the shed, including even Lex, who like. You know, is originally like said, okay, we're going to go climb again. It's like, no, no, we got to prep for three weeks. And they're like, no. And she's like, I'm leaving. And then it's like, oh, no, I'm going to change my mind. It's it just, you know. Oh, she gets pushed yes. over it, every time. Like she, she, yep. she, she makes a stand and then it's like, all right, oh, fine. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a problem. All right, let's get to act three. Finally, let's get to the verses. Fight, fight. The alien is fighting the predator. The alien immediately kills one of the predators and eventually kills the second one after 
the Predator puts up a pretty good battle. The last Predator pursues Wayland, Lex, and Sebastian. Wayland attacks him to buy time for the others, and the Predator obliges by stopping and killing him. Trapped in another chamber, Sebastian and Lex see the last Predator kill a facehugger and then a xenomorph before unmasking and marking himself with the alien's acidic blood. From the hieroglyphics, Sebastian susses out that the Predators taught humans how to build. <laughs> I, I did laugh at that. That was just really funny. Because um, also, it makes no sense within the Predator. And he presumes like, universe, also, I guess, either. that all all humans were as dumb as him, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe that's it. I actually like the idea that this is what Sebastian thought happened. And in fact, it actually really wasn't what happened. Anyway, he thought that the Predators taught humans how to build. In return, every century, the Predators would return and use humans to breed the ultimate prey. And if the hunt went badly, the predator would destroy everything. None of this Lex makes sense, Dan. They... None of this makes sense. <laughs> I know. I know. But it is. I will. The only thing I will say, Paul and W.S. Anderson's credit, it's told in the span of two minutes. So at yes. least it's brief. <laughs> Lex decides that they have to return the guns they took from the sarcophagus back to the predator in order to make sure the aliens don't make it to the surface. <laughs> On a... There are so many ways in which Alien v. Predator is different from both its source materials, but one of them is that Anderson isn't coy about showing the monsters. So in both the original Predator, if you remember, and in the original Alien, the films go really slow. John McTiernan and Ridley Scott take their sweet time in terms of revealing the monster. Indeed, that's one of the things that makes the films really good. Now, to be fair... Paul W. S. Anderson is making a different film. Like, you know, <laughs> even if he like was operating an art, like, he's making on a full movie. artistic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. One could knock the, the lack of artistry here. But on the other hand, this film, and I really think this might be the first film we've seen that has this, has a very obvious money shot, okay? In that, like, you see the alien and predator confront each other for the fight. And I actually thought it was a very good money shot. And the battle that happens after that was actually, I thought, reasonably entertaining. Yeah, this is a fan service movie. Yeah. In a yeah, lot of ways. exactly. Right. And and I I yeah. think there is a pre-existing fandom for it. I think that the comic books have a lot of fans and there's affection for them. Mm -hmm. And then I think in a some way, it, much in the way that almost any sufficiently charismatic villain gets people to, to be fans, both mm -hmm. the Predator and the Alien have like their own independent fan bases, and there are people who like the <laughs> idea of them fighting. I like the idea of the Alien fans and the Predator fans getting into a fight. At <laughs> I don't think that they would can fight. Moderately I, amusing. I, I actually I shouldn't say independent fan bases. I did not mean complete independent. I meant like there are people who like the idea of these kids fighting, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. And, and I had this sense as I was watching it because it almost exactly imitates the poster right for the movie mm -hmm. like yeah, it's, exactly. it's just yeah, it's just yeah. that's the money shot right right yeah i got that same sense that when i saw the doctor strange movie and john mm -hmm. krasinski shows up as <laughs> oh right as the as dr reed richards right and, and, and people are like oh you know like there's this like yeah. kind of like cool like the thing we talked about is happening i don't know why i right. said that in a goofy voice except i think it's kind of goofy uh i don't <laughs> mind fan service but i it rarely makes for a really good art. I think the way to put it is that if the fan service is the best thing in whatever it is you're watching, that's not a good sign. Yeah. So, like, we, you know, we talked about Doctor Strange. And, like, you know, Sam Raimi is a good director. There are 
you know, it's not the perfect film, but there are really interesting parts of that film. Mm -hmm. And then there's the fan service section. And so in that sense, I thought the fan service added to it. In this case, this was the highlight of the film and it's okay. You know, it's nice to see, but like it's, it, you know, as a film, like you wanted a little more, I guess would be the way to put it. Yeah. I, I, I could I could imagine people being into it. Like I said, I think it's it, they could, yeah. there are people who just are really into special effects and stuff. I think the people yeah. who made that thing documentary probably really mm -hmm. like this movie. <laughs> Possibly, yes. All right, let's close out the movie though. Act four: Alien versus Predator and Human. An alien dispatches Sebastian as he and Lex are trying to flee, and then Lex runs into the last Predator. He is about to kill her when she returns his gun. A xenomorph then appears, and in the ensuing melee, Lex uses the Predator's spear to kill the alien. The Predator has mad respect for Lex, and then uses the alien carcass to construct a spear and shield for Lex. Looks like a team-up between the Predator and our planet's apex predator, Anna. You like what I did there? Mm. Um, <laughs> mm. Meanwhile... <laughs> sorry. Meanwhile, the mother alien is freed by her children. The Predator uses a bomb to destroy the pyramid as they head back to the surface. Once there, the Predator uses xenomorph blood to mark Lex the same way he marked himself. Then Mama Alien shows up. They battle the alien mother. She impales the last Predator, and then Lex kills her by drowning her in the depths of the ocean. Just run with it, Anna. Okay. The other predator, <laughs> the other predators show up and, seeing Lex's mark, make the magnanimous gesture not to kill her and instead gift her with the spear. The predators take the body of their fallen compatriot back on their ship, and he might have a surprise in his tummy waiting for them. <laughs> Anna. <laughs> yeah. Anna, can we talk about that scene where the predator marks Lex? Because this actually was a legitimately interesting scene. Was it me, or did it have a kind of weird erotic charge to it? It might just be me. I swear to God. I, I, Dan, I what if that. I told you I think it's you? What if no, I? That's fair. <laughs> totally fair. But like it, it. There, I it, would it's say yes. that it is intimate. Like okay, it is. That's a, a better it, way of putting it. It is a strangely well done scene. Like right again, it like. Yeah, it like, stands it, out it, in the movie as a moment as a moment of like genuine intimacy in a movie that has almost none of that, right? Right. It's Sanaa Latham's best acting moment in the film by far, is the way I would put it. I do think it's funny that when he does mark her, he marks her on her cheekbone, her amazing cheekbone, rather oh, than on flawless. her forehead. Yes, he amazing. doesn't he doesn't give her like the Harry Potter sign in the middle of her eyebrows. <laughs> I will say her skin but, but was so flawless. This is rather aesthetically when, more pleasing, like thing on her yeah, on her cheekbones, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, the other, and I'm not gonna lie, as you say, flawless cheekbones. When he started doing that to her, my first thought was, "No, she's got great cheekbones. What are you doing? Don't do that." <laughs> as a person with tattoos, I was kind of like, "All uh -huh. right, I can kind of see how this works." You know, you want to mark this yeah. moment in your life, like that's kind of what those kinds of things are for. I, I mm -hmm. see it. Him taking off his mask is the first moment where the intimacy starts. It's it yeah. is strange, and I'm just gonna stay on one side of the whether it's a erotic side, but mm -hmm. I see where you where you got that. For I, sure. I, I th and I think that's a I think intimate is a better actually intimate is a better way of framing it. Let me put it this way: she gives him a look of intimacy in that moment and and again it's actually a scene that works which there are not a lot of them in this yeah film, but that scene actually is good i have another thought on this which is that spear looks really gross like <laughs> <laughs> not much of a gift 
you know, but again, she they don't kill her. So like, you know, given how predators normally deal with humans, I mean, I she, she you know, she actually is going to survive. So good for her for that. Well, Dan, we're done with the plot. So now Thank I need God. to ask you a question. <laughs> yes, Anna? Is there IR in this movie? Anna, it would seem that we are rats in a maze. But when it comes to the IR in this film, it's the world's simplest maze ever designed. Because there is IR in this film. It is utterly basic and confined to a single five-minute sequence. So that sequence... <laughs> is when Lex and Sebastian make the decision that they have to help the Predator, even though he has been trying to kill them multiple times over the previous 15 minutes because the aliens are the bigger threat. It was legitimately funny watching Sebastian say very slowly, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Like it required serious <laughs> mental effort on his part to wrap his head around this entire concept. And because as though Lex that, that, I, that idea was yeah. not something that... Like, n- no one had ever thought of that before, Anna. No. Like, it's, it's de novo. Like, you know, the idea that you would, you would balance against the greater threat is amazing. You know, and in that sense, that is all this movie is. It's about balance of threat as opposed to balance of power. And this here we get a little more tricky. Realism as a theory often talks about balance of power, the idea that the most powerful actor out there, other actors in the international system have to balance against because they they represent, you know, the end of, of potentially their existence. Stephen Walt, who uh, wrote a book called The Origins of Alliances, argued that it's not so much balance of power. Power is one factor, but what you actually have to worry about is balance of threat. Um, and there might be other factors that are related to threat, geographic proximity, past history, intentions, what have you. And in this case... His theory is proven right as opposed to sort of more straightforward balance of power theory. Because if it was balance of power, the humans would ally with the aliens against the predator. Because the predators are clearly the most powerful actor. They're the most technologically sophisticated. They hunt the aliens, for God's sakes. Instead, the humans correctly perceive that the aliens would be the much bigger threat to humanity. And so they wind up allying with the predator. And that concludes the IR portion of this film. Oh, well, well, Professor Dresner, I have a question. Oh, yes. Yes, Anna. Uh, another factor that might enter into the decision-making process for the the tertiary party here, right? Like the yes, one the weakest party, the, the humans. The weakest party. Right. Would have to be which of the threats or which of the other parties is most open to negotiation, right? Or has the Correct. culture that seems the most similar, like who, who seems yeah. open to allyship? Because it is, it's very clear, obviously... Apparently, human culture is based on predator culture, right? <laughs> That's true. Yes, so, I mean human culture. It's a post-colonial. It's that that you know, maybe in some ways that we could put in some post-colonial theory in here okay. as well. Because in yeah. some ways, human civilization is, you know, humans were a colony of the predators, and so yes. like you've got to like look at human civilization um, as in some ways the colony of the predators. Although that would actually, depending upon what how you want to approach this that that would suggest they would actually resist the predators but the other problem is is that the humans don't actually know any of this so none of that theory actually works out but yes you're right it yeah go ahead well i was more thinking like i'm is there kind of a way of looking at it where you look for the culture that echoes yours and whether or not like and that's just another factor there's the threat there's the power and there's Mm -hmm. the ability to have some kind of shared cultural touchstones 
there's definitely a sort of birds of a feather logic um, yeah. along those lines, you can argue. I mean, sometimes it might be by regime type or sometimes it might be re by religion and or Race. You know, sort of shared culture. Yeah. Um, okay. uh, you know, so those certainly do play a role, although I, I will say that in international relations on Earth, those factors usually aren't a huge deal. Sometimes okay. they are, but like not all that much. But, you know, again, I think the thing that I did like in some ways in, in talking about this that I was grateful for was literally they kept the IR just to that one conversation. And again, I don't think the actor who played Sebastian was very good, but that watching him struggle to say the enemy of the enemy <laughs> is my friend. And, and it, I, I, I rewound I, that I, at least twice. I also I LOL'd so Dan. I did. I yes. Oh, time. good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you laughed on it because I, I also have a question for you. Yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this film? Dan, Antarctica isn't the one place left in the world that nobody owns, because aliens invented both pyramids and capitalism, and apparently <laughs> own Antarctica. So, Dan, this is where I confess I I, I went on a journey with this. <laughs> Yes. Because as we talked about in our Predator review, I have a theory. And about, in our Prey review. Yeah. Oh, in our, sorry. Yes, in both, yes, in the Predator and Prey review. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a theory, which is that in Predator culture, Earth is a escape room franchise of some kind. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right? So, Dan, yeah. this movie isn't about Lex and Sebastian and Wayland. No. It's about Mike, Jeremy, and Carlos from accounting who are just trying to have a nice guys-only weekend. They saved up for this, both saving mm -hmm. money and by banking relationship capital with their partners, you know, doing some errands, taking care of the kids. Carlos has a new yes. kid with his husband, Dave, like a Aww. tiny adopted baby predator who's teething right now. So he really had to like get permission from Dave. Mike, Jeremy, and Ooh, Carlos. Yeah, he was taking a risk. Did not sign up for this leveled up version. And you can bet that Carlos's partner, Dave, and Mike and Jeremy's wives, Rebecca and Meredith, will be taking this up with the management. <laughs> I imagine there's going to be a lawsuit. I don't you know, know. Based on what I've seen on the Predators, I'm thinking there's a no refunds policy. But, but keep I going. Know. Okay. Keep going and also it. they do this whole like military-ish honors thing, like where it looks like they have an honor guard where they take him up. I don't think yeah. that's going to fool Dave, Rebecca, or Meredith. I mean, they need mm -hmm. cold hard cash at this point because it's clear that predator culture is late capitalism, right? So yep. I imagine they have a very poor social safety net and the surviving families can't count on <laughs> continuing health insurance or even a way to pay for college for poor Alan, Kelsey, Dylan, <laughs> and Carlos's kid who doesn't have a name yet because he hasn't made his first kill. Oh... There is a GoFundMe page if you're interested. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Uh, that, that was art, Anna. That was that was. <laughs> I think you put more energy into that than Paul W. S. Anderson put into this script. Let's put it that way. I do have a slightly more serious observation, which is that the forced birth scene slash idea in this actually I found somewhat upsetting watching. Like, I know it's a xenomorph alien that is chained yeah. up and forced to give birth, but it is both gross just in an icky way, and it just made me, mm. it just unsettled me, to be honest. And the idea of forced birth is something that, that has come up in late capitalism lately. 
and as far as it being like capitalism, I, I we discussed this. I, I can't remember which Predator franchise review this came up in, but it is a feature of late capitalism to make entertainment more and more extreme and more and more titillating. So mm. that is my evidence for it being uh, a late stage capitalism venture. And then, Dan, one final thing. Mm-hmm. End the carceral state. Boom. Free the predator. That's all I have to say. I mean, okay. I, I, it is really gross. It is really gross. You have to admit. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that it, it's, it's, it's and it, I like what I did, I found it mildly not mildly upsetting. I found it like somewhat upsetting, somewhat to mildly upsetting. And I do just like to think about all this stuff. It's, you know, it's, we did Ender's Game very early on in this podcast, mm-hmm. and I think the thing that Ender's Game has given sci-fi that continues to sort of live in my brain is this idea that what if we're the aliens right like, right and i do think about it a lot and, and and watching this poor mother being forced to give birth made me think about it it's discordant it's- node stan this yep. is where we answer questions from the Discord. What have you dug up from the Discord? We really only have one question. There was a lot of commentary on the Discord, but I think <laughs> at the end, it, it really boils down to just one you know, question that I think we could answer. Uh, Nate Meyer asked, what other IP should Alien and or Predator intersect with? Uh, Harry Potter and the Facehuggers, a Predator in the Book of Boba Fett. Anna, what do you say? I, I would love answers, a, a but... Paul W.S. Anderson cinematic universe. That is what I want. Oh, that would actually be good. That yeah. actually would be, I mean, Thank yeah, you. both, yeah. both, both event. Oh, that's a really good answer. Both event horizon and the resident evil. And Jason Statham, like death race too. Yes. Like why not? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Throw it all but... in. I like that idea. I leave it this way. I, in some ways, my answer is based not so much on the Paul W. Sanderson universe, but rather the sort of same level at which this is pitched at. So either Stargate or Highlander. I would love to see a Highlander interact with both of these. I think that would actually be amazing. Yeah, um, that would be but, good. Yeah. Yeah. I, too, would like to see a Highlander interact with both of these. I would just like to see a decent Highlander movie, honestly. Like, I, <laughs> as we discussed on, on that episode... Highlander has all this potential and it just never seems to be realized, or at least in my opinion, never seems to be realized. Now, in Mm -hmm. keeping with Cold Sci-Fi Winter, we have to judge how cold it left us. It's the energy scale of the actual property. So on a scale of 0 to 100 Celsius, Dan, was this movie a cold fish or was it an Arctic dynamite? I'm going to give it a 40. I didn't dislike it as much as I was expecting. And let me put it this way. I think of all the Versus movies I've seen, this one is actually my favorite. <laughs> but that is damning with faint praise. Uh, because the truth is, is that just there just aren't any interesting human characters, and that badly hurts it. I mean, I, the, I, I was happy to watch the five-minute alien versus predator fight when you first see it. That was good. And the marking scene was also good. Beyond that, there's not much. I don't know, you know, the the problem with the Celsius scale, Dan, is it does have a very convenient, like, bottom and top, right? Like, you know, It's the middle that's tricky. Freezing. It is. It's like, because, like, what, because I would say this was, like, if I had to describe the weather 
uh, of this movie, it would be in the 60s or 50s because it would be just that kind of weather that's just like, eh, you know. Yeah. It's like kind of a gray day. It's just kind of, it's not cold exactly. It's not hot mm-hmm. exactly. I don't know. I guess I'll go with 40 as well, maybe a little bit lower. Yeah. But to be honest, I, I think this is why the Fahrenheit scale is is superior to the Celsius scale. It's like you have... Well, we've only got to do this... We only have to do this one more time on us, right. so... Yeah, okay. That'll All be right. fine. Okay. Well, wait, what's that? Oh, my God! Oh, my gosh. It's like it's, whale debris. The pyramid is collapsing. And the pyramid. Yeah. It's the debris field. This is why I told you not to take the guns, Anna. <laughs> this is where we talk about what we haven't already gotten a chance to talk about. And let us start with you, Dan. What do you have? I only have two things, Anna. But uh, the first thing I will say is there was one cute little touch I liked at the very beginning, which is, I don't know if you saw this, you see Wayland in, like, the ship before they're going to get out, and he does the thing with his hand and a knife that Bishop did in Aliens. It's only there for, like, a half second. It's actually... It is. It might honestly be the most subtle thing in the movie because he doesn't. Anderson doesn't like make it obvious, but you do see him do that. And I actually thought that was a nice, clever touch and a nice sort of reference to Bishop. I have a nitpick. Uh, well, I have a few okay. nitpicks, but <laughs> my first nitpick is that I'm pretty sure it's the aliens who would be technically the home team and therefore be listed last. <laughs> so it should be Predator versus Alien. It should okay. be Predator Fair versus enough. Alien. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Okay. One last little thing, which is that, you know, right before Waylon dies, um, he's the Predator is coming. Lex and Sebastian are trying to help him. He recognizes he actually takes responsibility for the fact that this is his fault, which I actually thought was admirable. But then he tells Sebastian, get her out of here, which is weird. It's like this weird I guess an attempt at chivalry on his part, but the reason I think it's weird is that up until this point in the film, Lex is the only competent one of the entire lot of them. <laughs> and the idea that she was the one in trouble, as opposed to Sebastian, I found utterly absurd. I actually did laugh out loud at that line. It just made no sense to me. What about you, Anna? Uh, another nitpick, which is the phrase okay. ultimate prey, which... <laughs> it, it, like to me, if it's a, something's an ultimate prey, that means it's wow, it's really prey. Like that is so prey, which would make it weak, right? Like <laughs> right, if it is the like, ultimate prey, it would be very prey. Ultimate prey is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, it's an epic. Like I said, I do no, think the most dangerous game formulation is like God said, that is exactly right. You know, it yeah. is a dangerous prey, not the ultimate right. prey. Oh, the most dangerous prey. prey would have been better. You're right. You're absolutely right. That actually is better. I agree. I also think it's interesting that when <laughs> they call it the ultimate prey, it is almost the exact inverse of the observation that's made in the alien movies, which is that the alien is the ultimate predator. Yes. Is that it? You, you got nothing else? No more nitpicks? Because I, I have one, nothing one else. thing that's kind of almost positive. Okay. Let's hear it. That's actually it's a good way to close. I appreciated the the scene with the Scottish nerd who's like, "We're both dads. I'm going to get you out of here." I did like that. I did like that. And and let me put it this way: maybe I mean Anderson does this every once in a while. Like it was, I actually did think, "Oh, okay, so they maybe they're going to live for a little while." Nope, yeah. they're they're dead within five minutes. But like the dad, like in some ways, that was frustrating because like it's another example where, oh, okay, that's something that's moderately interesting, and then wasted. I feel like. 
Anderson's not like necessarily a Mexican writing binge guy, <laughs> but it's like he gets called away from the computer every five minutes. You know? <laughs> I mean, maybe he's got kids. That could be it also. You know? Yeah, like, yeah you maybe know. he has kids. Because you know what I mean? Because he has an interesting idea and he like, well, a little bit of this interesting idea and then like, oh. I can do something else. Yep. Come back. Totally forgot about my interesting idea. All right. Well, I think yep. that's it for Alien versus Predator, or as I like to call it, Predator versus Alien. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't have much more to say. Uh, we're going to do Colson Whitehead Groundhog next. Day next. And nope. then Nope. And then a soul, My Soul to Keep. And also, please become a patron if you're not already a patron. Uh, we do love our Discord I am taking action on the merch stuff. Believe it or not, I have, there are things in the works. There's going to be merch, hand to God, a hand to alien. It will happen. And And a predator. And until next time. Keep this channel open for more.